Some of you may know uh, she's now um, passed away. Madeline Lengel, a, a writer, writes, wrote essays and fiction. And uh, I've, I'd never met her, but a friend of mine was a friend of hers, and he was—he's also an author, and he would spend time with her when she was in Seattle. So you'll need to indulge a Seattle illustration. I'm so sorry. If you'd like me just to close in prayer, I would be glad to do that. But she said, I love this place. It's the only place I go that has its own flying mountain, which is very Madeline Lengel vision of uh, the top of Mount Rainier above the clouds. And um, so that became a challenge for me when he shared that years ago uh, about to what do I see? Do I see a mountain or a flying mountain? Do I see the star of Bethlehem or do you see just a star? Do you see um, a king or just a baby? Do you see the corruption of the world or do you see the world's promise? Do you see the indifference of the creator or do you see his entrance into all? The Magi, they never saw a miracle. They never heard Jesus teach. They had not heard of the love of the cross or the power of the resurrection. They saw a child and they worshipped him. And when they came and when they did that, they showed us how to have hope. Because I will say this, I know Seattle and uh, Portland are the same in this respect. Um, It's just not hip to have hope. But, you know, cynicism is the most simplistic way to live. And we, of all people, really, really, we who follow Christ of only people who can really have hope in the world the way it is. And so I want to look at these three magi, and then I want to look at the antithesis of these magi, King Herod, so that we can learn how to have hope in a world that is profoundly broken and at the same time magnificently beautiful. So I, I want you not to be blind to its brokenness, but I want us not to be blinded by its brokenness either. So let's take a look at these three men. The first thing we learn about their hope, these magi, uh, philosophers, scientists, astrologers from the east, they're, they're uh, from a, a pagan land, probably um, almost certainly had a pagan vision of the world. Um, that was being challenged and transformed and they were being drawn away from by this. But the very first thing that um, I want us to see about how to have hope is that if you're going to have hope, you need to look beyond your home, which is what these men did, these astrologers. It's about 400 miles. Let's, we believe they came from Babylon, which Persia would have controlled then. And uh, that's about 400 miles. They looked away far from where they were. Now, in the architecture of biblical storytelling, you know, places and directions are significant and important, especially when a journey takes you from the outer parts of the world into the biblical center of the world, which, of course, is the promised land where God's people um, lived and dwelled, and then we're back again now. So one of the things, if we're going to follow the Magi on their journey, We need to understand that hope is a movement away from a certain place, from our situation and our perspective and our status. They were moving away from their home, quite literally. 
at 400 miles uh, from Babylon to Bethlehem or Jerusalem. Um, let's say that would take about 40 days. And they're coming because they're important people. They're not just, they didn't have to probably pack up their own stuff, which would be super cool. But they also um, couldn't just three of them move along. They had a caravan of some kind with them. And it would take a season. It would take a commitment. It would take a sojourn. It will take a pilgrimage. And so hope for us has to include a going. And going always includes a leaving. So if you want to find hope, the thing that you need to leave is not necessarily Portland, but, but that part of Portland that makes you most comfortable, that you're most at home with, that you take most um, satisfaction in, not to forget it forever, but to release its power over you to determine whether or not you have hope, whether or not you have significance and meaning and are loved. Now, now they had, they, they, did ha- they didn't have nothing. They had this dis- distant promise and um, the story of the Bible includes uh, the people of God's sojourn time. There was, um, there was a man named Balaam who was paid to prophesy a curse against Israel way back before David, way long ago. If you don't know the Bible, that's okay. I had read about 20% of the Bible when I went to seminary. And uh, by the way, that is not recommended. I do not, I do not recommend that, but it's okay if you don't know this stuff. But what, I, what you need to know about Balaam is that he kept trying to curse them and God wouldn't let them. And then this is the promise. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. Finally, this is what he, what he says. The oracle of a man whose eye is open. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High. Who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. That's Israel. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the fort of, the, of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. And that's un, with, with near certainty why these magi understood that the star meant something. It was their anchor. It was this faint, ancient promise. Now, there's a tremendous uh, library and collection of sacred writings or religious writings from all over the world. These magi would have been experts in it. They would have been library geeks. That's where they would have been. And they would have put this uh, magnificent star that appeared, which you can find all kinds of information about, whether it was a, a natural phenomenon or something unique. I, I think it was a miraculous phenomenon because we're told it, it stops and shines right down on Bethlehem, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not a physicist, but I don't think stars do that. Um, but uh, in any rate, they, they put those two things together and they began their search. They didn't stay with their books. They didn't stay in their home. They left. And so um, please stay in Portland and love Portland your whole life if that's what God's called you to. But, but Portland can never be your place. It can never be your home. I've been in Seattle for 28 years. I love Seattle, but I love that place. I can never be from that place. I can never belong there the way others can belong there. I just can't because I am moving towards this king. I'm living in this kingdom that these magi were among, well, certainly the first Gentiles to be to be aware of. And so the second part of it, remembering uh, our hope, 
is also um, to go west. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Now, remember, geography and placement in the biblical story are important. So when Adam and Eve um, were sent out of Eden, do you remember which direction they went? They went east of Eden. That was in the Bible before the book and the movie. So, so they went east of Eden. And what does that mean? This language is significant in the storytelling of the Bible. That means to go back to where we were, to restore what was, is, is to move west to the sunset. It's to move essentially into death. That's why the temple door was facing to the east, because to go into the temple, you would have to Go, you would be going back to Eden and you would be going back to the sunset. You'd be going back. You would be dying. And it's not too much to take that um, biblical narrative arc and architecture um, into the uh, story of the Magi who are, are going um, back. They're from the east. They're going back to where it all began. Now, the, the reason that will help us hope is that you're forced in the midst, and we're going to learn this from Rachel and her children in a minute. You're forced in the midst of this broken place to ask yourself sort of two questions. One was, was it always like this? Is it, is it just the way that it is, or is this not the way it's supposed to be? Is there a not a political, not an economic, not a social ideal, but, but a, a covenantal created order and ideal, is there something that this place was supposed to be that it's lost? And you have to go back to that. And at the same time, you have to ask yourself if this is the way it's always going to be. This is essential to hope. What was lost? Is it foolish for me to hope for something more? And the answer in the story of the Bible comes from no, it's not for two reasons. One, it was never supposed to be this way. And two, it won't always be this way. So part of this leaving that these uh, three wise men engaged in on their journey to hope was to enter into that story, to reorient their um, vision of the world, not only where their home was, but also their trajectory of what the world was about to be, or ultimately what it was going to be. In their case, this was manifested in camels and treasure chests and, and long, long journeys. Um, but really, at its heart, until what comes next, this journey is a very interior journey. Hope um, begins with uh, something happening in us that decides that, um, that although where I am cannot bring me hope, there is a place I can be that brings me hope. And although where I am is broken, there was an intention for this world and a, and a destiny for this world that is not broken. Now, these things are hard for, uh, to be frank, they're hard for sophisticates to get their head around because, because as I said, nothing, there's nothing so unhip as being hopeful. I mean, the only thing worse than that is actually being happy. That, was, that would be terrible in Seattle. Um, if, you, if you thought the world wasn't always trying to trick you, well, you're just an idiot. But, but these interior things happen, and then there's, aside from, in their case, this open manifestation of, all right, giddy up. I don't think you say that to camels, but, but you know, get, let's get up and go. 
what, what happens next is, is uh, another part of the journey to learn how to hope here. They said it out loud, which is really um, remarkable. They, uh, they came to, they get this, this is uh, how significant and how risky hope really is in the world. They came to, in the story, the king of the world, and what did they ask him? Hey, where's the king? Think about that for a moment. Uh, the, the Herod is going to discern a couple things. One, um, they don't think he's the king. They don't believe he's the king. So part of hope is just to say it out loud. To ask, to tell the king you're looking for another king. Now, um, what, what's that mean for us here in our journey towards hope? Well, it means you're going to have to reject the promise and the paradigm that this world says will bring you hope and satisfaction and comfort. And although our age and our culture makes much of individual agency and autonomy, um, you will find out that, that when, when you declare to whoever in your world, um, your neighbors, your workmates, whatever, that you have a different hope, you're looking for a different king, you want a different kingdom than this kingdom, well, then the allowance and tolerance for hope and agency will be restricted. We had a, we had a party at our house just Friday night with about 15 of the regulars from the coffee shop I've been going to for 20 years. It was, in, it was a lot of fun. And uh, one of them is a secular Jewish atheist guy who's a riot. And, uh, and he, was at, he was trying to figure out what the difference between us and, and like in other Presbyterian denominations were. And Sandy and I were trying to tell him. He was leading this whole conversation. That's just who he is. He's super engaging to talk to. And I was trying to get a head around it. And finally, I looked at him. I said, you know, I said, Phil, here's the thing. Like, we haven't been clicking on the updates. The philosophical updates, the biblical updates. We, we've just been accepting what God gave us. And, you know, it didn't offend him. It didn't. It, it, he had a paradigm for it. He goes, oh, I get it now. I mean, he still thinks I'm an, I'm an idiot, you know. But uh, not really. He doesn't. We, we have a good relationship. But, but what you have to understand is that the pursuit of hope does ultimately require a declaration. And that declaration has to be different than the world around you is promised. It has to be a different king and a different kingdom and a different ethic and a different value system an entirely different orientation. I know your leaders here will, would never let that become a disregard or dislocation from the city of Portland because that's not what I'm talking about. It's surely not what the Bible talks about. But if we were to pull down and find hope in our real hearts, we would know with this, with this pilgrimage, with this movement away um, to something different, we would find that, that, that our hope aligns and speaks about something very, very different than the world that is around us. So we're starting to see it takes, um, you have to leave your home. Um, you, have to, you have to go to, to destiny. You have to move ahead and accept the, the narrative course of the Bible story of the world that it was one way and will be a better way even than that again. 
And then you've got to say it out loud, and, and you've related to that, saying it out loud. We'll, we'll keep this under that category. Related to that, um, you'll be making a choice. You know, the Magi, what's easy to lose in the Magi is not only did they ask the king where the new king was, which I've studied a little bit of history, and I know that is, had to have been a dangerous thing to do. But, but remember, too, they had a king. There were only kings. You know, there were no parliaments. There was not a parliament in Persia at the time. There was a king. So, so part of this hope, when you watch these three, when you watch them come, um, part of it is to understand that hope is always, in a way, a realignment, a leaving, a, a, a new allegiance. And that's why hope is hard for us. We, we, we want to hold to Christ, and we want to just have safety hopes all around us. Money, family, um, gratification, physical gratification. We, we want to have all these things. These things aren't bad in of themselves, but they're sort of like I'm on the tight wire of faith and rope, and I've got this net of all these other things below me just in case. And hope is the perpetual journey of leaving those things behind and becoming more and more focused on that one thing, that one person who will truly find you or, or make you... Um, give you hope so they ask out loud and that changes their allegiance and then this is maybe the hardest part of of hope you have to trade all your treasures for hope the reason the reason i don't hope in jesus even though this is my job my job is to follow jesus is, is because I have certain precious things that in a given, you know, Tuesday at 3.30, I would rather draw sustenance from than him. And so do you. But one of the most famous parts of this whole story is that these three wise men, they bring such treasures and they lay it at the foot of this child who, who they, like everyone in this room, even if you're not a Christian, you're just visiting, you know way more about Jesus than these three guys do. Way, way more. But they bring these treasures. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. for Gold for the king, frankincense, the evoking temple incense, and myrrh ointment for suffering. You're not going to have hope unless you give everything that's important to you whom you want to put your hope. That's just simply how the soul works. Now what you find is some of those things, some, you know, what, what would they be? They would be your time, your, your sexual desires, your aspirations, your family, your friendships, your education, your career, your health, what, whatever it is for you. Um, you'll find that, that some of those, your king may well take from you altogether. Most of those, he'll assert his dominion over and want them all to be used for his glory. And that's where the fight will begin between you and the one you hope in. 
because the, the fulcrum of our trust is, is all about not just saying that he's the king, but living as a subject to the king in all of these ways, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But, but how, how can you do that? Well, how can you propel? What, what do those things teach about your heart and its journey to hope? Well, we get so lost in the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, uh, let's get so much attention artistically and in the stories that we forget that right before that they did something first. They bowed down and worshipped this child. Now, we could go into all, all kinds of geeky stuff about what that would understand and were, were they leaving their other spiritual commitments aside. The short answer is they probably were. I think they knew more than we want to give them credit for. But the other answer is let the narrative send its own message to you. And you and I are being told that everything that we give to Jesus comes after and as part of our adoration and worship of him. So if you want to hope in the king, well, then you need to worship him. And that's really what Epiphany is about. We're going to transition over to Herod, who's not a good guy, but... But really, this whole journey, this whole journey from leaving and uh, entering into a narrative about what was and what will be again, and um, declaring it out loud, all these things are really about what does here this morning have to do with you and the rest of your life? Worship is about the adoration of the one who will give you hope and meaning and comfort and significance and redemption. So every Sunday is Epiphany, unless you're Herod. So Herod, um, as I said, not a good guy. But it's interesting that Herod immediately knows what to do because he's a religious person. He knows what to do and he calls the Pharisees, I mean, he calls the priests and the scribes in. Okay, and, and here's the scene. This is the first thing I want. If you want to lose hope, now we're transitioning. If you want to lose hope, um, make the Bible always true but never real. Because they're like, he's like, well, where's he going to be born? And they come and they get out all the scriptures and they say, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. But guess what? Not a single one of them saw the star. Not a single one of them did anything. They knew about Micah. I mean, they knew about Balaam. They knew about all this stuff. And that is... The problem with the church in all ages, most of us here believe all this is true. Fewer of us believe it's real. And it enters in and changes the world. The king didn't see the true king. The priest didn't see the true priest, even though they thought all this stuff was true. Oscar Wilde wrote um, a poem, I mean, a, a play called Salome and Herodias. This woman says, I don't believe in miracles. I've seen too many of them. We could say in the church, I don't believe in the scriptures. I read it every day. It's become so familiar 
and so true that it's no longer real. But what's in this book and who it speaks of is more real than anything you will touch or feel all day long today. Another thing that will mess up your hope is that you can't find hope in something you will not surrender to. And of course, that's the next thing we learn from Herod. He won't surrender to this king. This king's a threat to him. So ask yourself, when, when your hope is, is flagging and waning and hold, hard to hold on to, what am I not surrendering? For Herod, it was his throne. For us, it's all those things I mentioned earlier, our time, our money, our reputation, our career, our friendships, everything. But, but hope is a giving over. And when you give things to Christ, you, you believe me, you'll get more from him. You, no one's going to get to heaven and go, wow, I gave up all that for this. So it is about surrender. Hope is about surrender. Surrender all your allegiances. Surrender your other kingdom, your other home. Surrender the story you think the world's being told or, the, or your story that you're telling. Because, because what the Magi have taught us, and it took really in significant ways um, three Gentiles to teach us that everything that was true was also real. Because as Herod teaches us, if your hope isn't in Christ, you will ultimately be his enemy. A tragic story of the death of the innocents. Uh, that was, you could read all manner of terrible, horrible things that Herod did. He was a, a terrible, horrific human being. In some ways, though, and perhaps give me allowance to say this kind of thing, he got Christmas more clearly than a lot of Christians do today. He understood how significant it was, and he hated it, and he tried to stop it. And in that respect, he understood Christmas better than a lot of the church today does. But I just want to say one thing about that quote in um, Jeremiah 31 about Rachel weeping for her children. And then we'll, we'll close. I, I do have a, another uh, little story from Oscar Wilde after this, but we'll, we'll end with, with that. But let's talk about Jeremiah before we talk about Oscar Wilde. Uh, read that chapter, and you'll find um, that it's that verse about Rachel weeping for her children is uh, sort of out of place in the whole arc of that chapter. Um, the, the whole beginning of the chapter is, hey, you've been in exile and I'm going to redeem you and love you and restore you and I'm going to end your weeping. And it's a very hopeful chapter. You're like, this is a great chapter. And then out of nowhere, there's this brokenness, this horrific weeping of Rachel for her children that we later on find out what it's, uh, what it's pointing to. The very next verse is comfort and hope again. And you'll notice in our reading that right after, right before that, 
I should say, God sent our hope away to be saved. And then when it was, Herod died, he brought it back to us. And so what am I trying to say to you? I'm, I'm trying to say that our hope is built for exactly the world the way it is. There is promise in the world. This, this simplistic cynicism of our own hearts misses in all of its terror and all of the brokenness of the world. It misses the hope that we have. But right before all this brokenness and right after all this brokenness, there is this great promise that is proven by the coming of the Son of God and the King, Jesus Christ. That's where hope lives. Right in the middle of Jeremiah 31, yeah, 31, yeah. Right in the middle of Jeremiah. With all this promise and all this pain followed by all this promise, that's where you're going to if you can only find him. Herodias is talking to Herod in this play, and she speaks of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. And this is what Herod says. He raises people from the dead? Yes, sire, he raiseth the dead. I do not wish him to do that. I forbid him to do that. I will suffer no man to raise the dead. This man must be found and told that I forbid him to raise the dead in presence. And the Nazarene says, he is in every place, my Lord, but it is hard to find him. Or maybe it's not hard to find him. If you just follow these three wise men, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I pray that you would help us hope. Let's say later today or tonight when we are, um, the lights are, are dimming and we're away from all those things that we distract ourselves with. And then we're left with our, our thoughts and our dreams and our worries. I, I pray you would remind us that you are our hope and that we are on journey to it. If we would only worship and cherish you more than all things, we would have that, the comfort of hope even in the brokenness of the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.